Well, good morning, church. My name is Stephanie Clark, as was mentioned, and I am grateful to preach this morning on what seems to be one of the easier commandments, do not steal. It's almost like I could just say it and we can go home and be just fine, we get it, right? (laughs) My family and I are fairly new to Faith Covenant, so many of you have not had a chance yet to get to know me. That's my daughter in the back, yeah? So I thought when I was treating this commandment, I would do a little confessional time for you. You see, I have been a thief. I grew up a child of the 80s. Maybe some of you as well are one of those wonderful generations. And in the 80s, McDonald's did a fantastic job with their Happy Meal toys. It was like no other decade, I swear. Uh, They just had it all going together. So much so that when you were a kid in the 80s, you wanted to go to McDonald's to get the whole collection of the toys that they offered in the Happy Meals. I see some nods. Yes, we remember this, yeah. And there was this time that they had these little cartoonish figurines. For the life of me, I cannot remember what they were, but they were these cute little figurines, very cartoonish, and each had their own color. And I wanted the yellow one more than life itself. I don't know why. It was cute. It had pigtails. I just wanted the yellow one so, so very bad. The problem was you couldn't go to McDonald's and say, can I have the yellow toy in my Happy Meal box? You just had to go and hope and wish that you got the toy that you wanted. And so week after week, you would go and you would get the blue one or the purple one or the red one and no yellow one, and it was very, very upsetting. And then finally, one week, I open up my Happy Meal box and there is the yellow toy. My heart's delight. I was so ecstatic. And then I did what every five-year-old kid does. I lost my toy. I was devastated, crying for days, where's my toy? I can't believe I brought it to school and forgot it, and somehow somebody you know, took my toy when they were cleaning up things. I was just, I was devastated. And so my mom and I, one day, we were over at uh, a friend's home, and she was hanging out with her friend, and I was perusing the house, and they had a little girl who wasn't there at the time, but I saw that she had the whole collection of this set just on her little dresser, including the yellow one. And so I reached out with my little five-year-old hand and I grabbed it and I realized I didn't have pockets and so I just had a fist for the rest of that hour with my mother, holding on to that yellow toy for dear life until she said that, hey, it's time to go. And so I got into our station wagon. And I ran out ahead of her, and I had this foolproof plan. I was going to just open up my fist finally and drop the toy, and it would fall to the floor. And then when my mom came to the car, I would say, look, my yellow toy is here. And so that's what I did. It was a foolproof plan, except my mom was a neat freak. And she would have known the toy that I had wanted and lost and had been searching for for a week would have been in her very clean car. It would have been quite evident. And so I did the best five-year-old acting I could do when she came to the car and then she looked at me and she sat me down in the car and she said, honey, no. And I don't really remember what she said, but I do remember what I had to do. 
And so I had to take the toy back into the house, knock on the door, open up my hand and give it back to the mom and tell the mom what I had done, fess up for my sin and repent, and then sheepishly walk back to my car without the little yellow toy. This was my first lesson in discovering the hard path of confessing sin and repentance. So all that to say, I just want to fess up full circle, I have been a thief. Now, I don't know that we could all sit here and think about times we have stolen. I hope not, and share these things. But I do think we could sit here and think about times we have wanted or desired things so much so we've been very, very tempted to take them. And this will get touched on in a couple of weeks when we talk about do not covet. We live in a day and an age when theft and stealing is commonplace, though, whether we realize it or not. I'm sure many of us would raise our hands to say that we've had our identity stolen or our credit card information has been hacked and stolen. Recently, I had a couple of lovely purchases in Mexico, but I was in Illinois. (laughs) Did you know that in the state of California, you can walk into any Walmart or CVS, grab something off the shelf, steal it, and walk out? Because... Most likely, you're going to get away with it because they have a uh, state law that says merchandise valued under $950 is considered a misdemeanor, and it's often not investigated because police have a lot more pressing things to do. So you can Google shoplifting in San Francisco and see thousands of videos of people just grabbing and nabbing and stealing and walking away. So people are literally walking into stores right now grabbing stuff. Even this week in the news headlines, the founder of FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, was found guilty of fraud and stealing over $8 billion from his customers. He is going to jail, kids, just so you know. (laughs) Stealing is commonplace. Now, while the verb here used in the Eighth Commandment can be used of stealing property, the command do not steal is much broader in its focus. Issues such as kidnapping are referenced with this verb in Deuteronomy 24. There's stealing intangibles like dignity and self-respect, freedom and rights. These are all relevant here. The word is also used for stealing in the sense of cheating. By cheating someone out of something, you are stealing from them. And we'll get to an example of this in a little bit. As I was studying this commandment, I found that stealing is rarely, if ever, the lone sin. It's often tied with coveting, lying, deception. It's the act that follows a heart living in what Paul calls the old self from the verses that we read earlier. We are called by Paul to put off the old self, which belongs to the former way of life, the life before we knew Jesus, the life corrupted by deceitful desires. Put off the old self and put on the new self, the one that belongs to God, which has a renewed mind by the Holy Spirit and is created after the likeness of God himself, living in true righteousness and holiness. There are those big churchy words, living in true righteousness and holiness. Can I be honest for a minute? When I heard those words growing up, and even now sometimes as an adult, I check out. Righteousness, holiness, it sounds a bit boring, especially when you compare the fun that is had in movies about stealing. 
I mean, who wouldn't want to be Brad Pitt or Julia Roberts in the Oceans movies, really? Even when you look at YouTube and you see people that steal at Walmart in San Francisco, it all looks harmless. They're just grabbing a few items off the shelf. Really, who did that hurt? I'm sure Procter and Gamble and Gillette are doing just fine. We can tend to think of stealing as a victimless crime or a victimless sin, and the way it can be portrayed is a lot more fun than being told to put on righteousness and holiness. Two words that often get equated with men with robes with relics and boring sermons preached from, uh, while you're sitting in a very hard wooden pew. Thankfully, you were in cushy seats today. But I'd like to suggest today that what Paul lays out here in this passage as the antithesis is stealing is far more than life-giving and far more joy-filled than any Hollywood heist movie is. You see, and this is the big idea today that will go up on the screen, you can live to have whether legally or illegally, or you can put on the new self and live to give. So let's read that command again from Paul in Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So first, the do-nots. Do not steal. I'd like to share three brief points on why we should not do this, and then we'll talk about what we should do. The first, and I shared this earlier, is that stealing is rarely, if ever, the lone sin. It often comes after coveting, comes after jealousy, sometimes anger, and it's typically immediately followed up by lying and deception. Do you remember the stories of Jacob and Esau, the sons of Isaac? Jacob, the great deceiver, the one living in the shadows of his brother, doing everything he can to usurp his brother's position. So he puts on animal pelts to feel like his brother and lowers his voice really, really gruffly, and he goes in and he tricks his father into giving him his brother's blessing, essentially stealing the blessing that belonged to his brother. His theft, though, was tied up with lies and deception on top of it. So if you're at the point of theft, then the issues are actually much greater. You have probably already broken several other commandments, and your heart can be hardened, so much so that taking that final step and taking something that doesn't belong to you, that belongs to somebody else, happens without much guilt or much feeling at all. I get the sense that God is giving us this command Do not steal because he is desiring for your heart to return to him. You might have already coveted. You might have already had anger burning inside of you. You might have been jealous and envious, but continuing on in the path leads to destruction. Don't continue in the ways of the old self, adding on this action of stealing. Why? Well, this brings us to the second point of the do not. And that is, stealing is never a victimless crime. And you will feel the consequences personally and in your community. When Jacob's deceit and theft are found out between Isaac and Esau, the emotions in this passage are palpable. We read in Genesis chapter 27, after Esau came in asking for his blessing, Isaac trembled very violently. 
and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Can you feel the emotions of that passage? The deceit, the theft, the action of Jacob brought so much pain and harm to his father and his brother that their emotions were recorded for all time. And because of Jacob's deceit, lies, and theft, he had to leave his family. Their relationship was broken for a period of time. And Jacob ended up being served a taste of his own medicine by his future father-in-law, Laban. The repercussions of this were felt for years, and it was only by God's extended mercy that some sort of restoration could happen years later between Jacob and Esau. Stealing is never a victimless crime. If you've ever had something taken from you, whether it's a piece of property or an intangible thing like your dignity, for example, you are felt raw in that space. You are exposed. You are damaged. You are often frightened. All trust is broken, and there's often years of healing that have to take place. And that healing can only happen by the grace of God. This brings us to our last point on the negative, the do not. You will always get more than you bargained for, and it will never satisfy and be enough. This is just a practical truth, in all honesty. Con artists who live their lives grifting from con to con never really have enough to live. Their money stolen quickly dries up, and since their only source of income is to take from others, they have to take another risky job of conning somebody else again and stealing again. Relationships are lost, and life is spent thinking about how to take from others in order to survive. It builds, it adds, it snowballs until there's just nothing left. Friends, this is not the way Jesus wanted us to live. I don't think it's a coincidence that Satan is equated with stealing. In John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There is no life if stealing is a part of how you live. It only leads to destruction. But praise God, he offers a different way. He came that we may have life and have it abundantly. So what does abundant life look like if we follow this command? What's the, the positive side, the, the do, if you will? Paul expounds on this command, which we read earlier, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Essentially, the flip side of stealing is to be gainfully employed doing honest work. But it doesn't end there. You see, if it did, that would be the American dream. Get a job, build a white picket fence, enjoy the capital that rolls in. But the kingdom of God has a larger picture in mind that the opposite of stealing is to get a job and give away to those in need. Again, you can live to have, whether legally or illegally, or you can put on the new self and live to give. Instead of destroying yourself and your communities, Paul is asking you to build a community. We all fall on hard times at times. 
when things get difficult, when bills pile up, when notices are received, sometimes it can be harder than others. And if we, each of us here, the body of Christ, are living out the positive side of this commandment, then for those of us who are having a tougher time than normal, it wouldn't be laced with worry and anxiety about where our next meal is going to come from or how we're going to keep the gas on in this winter or when is that job going to happen because you're a part of a community that lives to give. Because those of us that have put on the new self, those of us that are the body of Christ, this community comes around them, giving to their needs, making sure that abundant life is for all. And there are philanthropists in the world that are atheists. I will say that. I mean, Bill and Melinda Gates have done quite a number of amazing things with their philanthropic arm, right? But the kingdom of God, the new self that Paul is speaking of, the abundant life that Jesus is offering to all, this is more than just philanthropy for the sake of philanthropy. It is a reflective ethic, an outpouring to others, reflecting what God has done for us. God is most fully known to us in the cross and resurrection, through the received grace and forgiveness from him. He loves, therefore we love others. He gives to us, therefore we give to others. God set up the standard for this in the Old Testament law, providing ways for people to give to the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. We saw this through the actions of Boaz, who allowed Ruth, a widow and a refugee, to glean in his fields. This standard in the law was fulfilled in Christ. And then we see the first Christians in the book of Acts, they gather together, and it says in Acts chapter 2 that all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Don't steal. If you have been stealing, just stop, repent. Repentance is awesome. Get a job. Have honest work so that you can give and share with those in need. I've lived in the world of fundraising and development and philanthropy for over a decade now. Full honest truth, I am the director of development for World Relief, if you don't know. So I talked a lot to people about giving. It's what I do. I've witnessed the power of those who follow Christ give abundantly to the help those needs of the world. When I worked in New England, I worked for an organization that was helping women exit the commercial sex trade. And they provided a home for a place, in a place for them to live and offered them a time of healing. And I met a young girl who had just turned nine years old at the time. And her parents were a part of our giving community and they had shared at their dinner table about the places that they were giving money and they shared about this place that they were giving money to and how they were providing a home and a bed for these women who often did not have a bed to sleep in. And this nine-year-old girl, she turned to her mom and she said, Mom, I want to give one of my weekly allowances to these women. 
I want to make sure that they have a bed and they never, never have to sleep without one. And so that's what she did. Every single month, we received a $5 donation from this sweet nine-year-old girl. So if you were sitting here saying, well, I'm nine, I don't need a job, there are ways that you can make money and you can give to those in need. Then I met another woman. She was nearing the age of retirement, and she had a job that drove her nuts. And we would meet often for lunch, and she would just keep struggling with this job because it paid a lot of money. And she didn't know what to do because she was really, really sick and tired, but she really, really enjoyed giving this lots of money away. And sure enough, over the course of five years, we received checks from her that just at first started with three zeros and then four zeros and then five zeros coming after it. And she just kept working, even in a job that she didn't like because she loved giving to those in need. Most personally, I'd like to take you back to my child again. You see, I grew up in a childhood home where we didn't know how we were going to pay the bills. We often were in very, very scary situations. My parents fought many, many times over how they were going to make ends meet. My mom was a coupon cutter. If you ever have met one of those moms, she was very religious about it, cutting out all the coupons. And I remember one week, we went to the grocery store, and it just felt especially hard that week for some reason. And she had her stack of coupons, and she made sure that we got everything that we could from those things and nothing more. And so our cart was filled about halfway with the stuff that we knew we could afford. And it was, you know, not steaks of the world, but like the mealy chicken and the pork chops that were so dry and no fruit or vegetables, you know, because that didn't have a coupon to go with it. It was the processed foods and those types of things. And so our cart was about halfway full and we took that cart to the checkout line and there at the line was this man from church, this older man. And his cart was overflowing like a cornucopia at Thanksgiving. I mean, it had like a prime rib and it had all these things. It was just like so much food and like the food was vibrant with color, if you know what I mean. It was just so enticing. And I was salivating at the mouth just looking at this man's cart. And he paid for his groceries and he was talking with us. We were having a nice conversation, my mom and him. And he paid for his groceries, then my mom came through, and then he turned to the checkout county and said, let me pay for her groceries too. And my mom just sat there. And then we walked to the car, and he walked us to our car, and he helped us load in our half cart of groceries, and then he grabbed all of the bags from his cart and loaded them into our car. And I remember my mom just standing there with tears in her eyes. And he smiled at us. And he said, God bless you. And that was that. I will never forget that moment in my life, that, that sheer generosity 
the grace that was given to us, we had need. And without having to ask for anything, it was taken care of. Because that's what followers of Christ do. This, my friends, is the new life that we can have. This is righteousness, living before God in a right and good way. This is holiness, living apart from a world that wants to just take for themselves and offering so much more. We do not take from others and steal. We do not merely get a job to take care of ourselves, but we put on the new self created after the likeness of God, filled with grace, and we share and we give to anyone in need.